0: because poverty creates the sense of I can't grow because growing is risky and I have no time for it. And the second that you stop improving, you're fucked. You get stuck and you stagnate and inflation eats you alive, right? Uh, and, And that is one of the biggest problems with poverty.
1: What's up people, it's Katie Friesen here. And you're listening to Perspective. Essentially, this is my way of walking a mile in someone else's shoes. These are my authentic conversations with people from all walks of life, their experiences, and how it's shaped them. I promise to bring to you quality over quantity. I only post timeless conversations that were insightful or meaningful to me. So you can check out all these episodes. You can check out my why and other cool stuff at my website. That's katiefriesen.net. K-A-T-I-E-F-R-I-E-S-E-N dot net. While you're there, please subscribe. Subscribe on the website. Subscribe also to where you listen to podcasts and tell your friends about it. If you do so, that helps me bring to you more of these timeless conversations. Conversation like this next one. Today's conversation is with Louis Carbonell. Lewis was born in Cuba, came to America when he was five or six, uh, went through the school system in Miami, both lower income and a school for advanced studies because he is a smarty pants. Then he went to university for a bit, dropped out, started some companies. He started a software company that did quite well, uh, then started up a artificial intelligence company called Liquid Carrot. Check it out on GitHub, still there. Uh, And now he is currently working at three companies in one. Uh, brilliant guy. Lewis is super brilliant, very reflective, um, and very self-aware. So it's like, he's also had a lot of experiences. So he's been a nerd. He's been a jock. He's been an entrepreneur. He's been like a playboy, you know, there's, there's he's had a lot of experiences and it's like, he's an old soul trapped in a 26 year old's body. Um, so I always enjoyed talking to him because he's so reflective. We turned this into a six part series, uh, and we touch upon, you know, his life in Cuba, um, coming to America, uh, sexuality from a Cuban American standpoint. Uh, we talked about poverty, super interesting. Um, we talked about entrepreneurship and many more. Um, so definitely check out the whole series, starting with part one in Cuba uh, also, in the conversation, you'll hear the voice of Christian Echeverria. He is also a Cuban-American. Uh, he was Lewis's co-founder. Uh, they're the co-founder of the software company and Liquid Carrot as well. Uh, these guys are best friends. I met them both in college um, and have learned a ridiculous amount from both of them, just talking to them. They're walking encyclopedias. They know so much about so, so much. (laughs) Um, And then two, they have such a good grasp and understanding on humans and on people. Um, I think maybe it's part of how reflective they are, how aware they, how self-aware they both are, um, and all the experiences they've had, maybe. I don't know. But either way, I learned so much talking to these guys, and it's always an interesting conversation. So I hope you enjoy hearing about Lewis's experiences. Hello, hello. Hey, what's
0: up? What is up? Sorry about Happy...
1: that. No, no, no. Worries. New Year. No. Yeah, Happy New Year. Finish my sentence.
0: Yeah. Oh, man. Let's hope this one is uh, a little bit better than the last one, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Let's hope. Hello. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. So. But-
0: I think it's always valuable to have smart people around you right and particularly smart friends
1: um
0: not only can you learn from them models or subjects that you can carry on further into life sometimes which are developed by them like chris has come up with things that he came up with right they're original to him and if i did not know him i would never learn those and i could never use them to my advantage in other places and some of those have been incredibly useful to me so Mm -hmm. That aspect of of having someone around you, right? Who is to some degree a mentor, right? And to some degree a friend is always nice. And the cool thing I think about having smart friends is that you can always mentor each other because you're always all learning. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's always gonna be some asymmetry where they'll know more than you about X, Y, or Z. So that, that, that desire in him and and I guess in myself as well to grow, um, as people and as individuals really helps foster that friendship and in, in a going forward perspective Mm -hmm. and a productivity perspective, and it lent itself really well to us working professionally together. There's another side of this which I think is more, it's less on the professional side and more on the personal side, which is when Chris and I originally know each other, right? Um, At least from my end of, of, from my perspective, ambition and being ambitious uh, was rare. I did not know a lot of people at, you know, in high school or middle school that were thinking about like I would I was always thinking about like building countries, right? And like seriously considering it. Like how do you build a country? How do you build economic systems, right? Like that incentive structures, infrastructure for all sorts of different, you know, resources, logistics, foreign trade, politics, right? And I would think about like there's there was so much I think that like I wanted to do and and it was rare to find other people around me at that point in time in my life that had similar ideals, similar goals, similar mindsets and were willing to contemplate it as a reality, right? Cuz if you tell someone, you know, when when you're like 17, hey, I, I want to build a country, right? Like most people would be like, okay, great, fuck off, right? Um Yeah. All right. Good for you. Cool Um, and and they wouldn't even contemplate the idea with you. So I think that's something that with him was, was really nice and exciting, but particularly there was some semblance of brotherhood in, in that, you know, we're both Brown, right. We're both poor. Right. And we're both being that state is such a unique state of being incredibly ambitious, but incredibly underprivileged, is, is, is a unique state to be in. And, and it is, it was, it was incredibly rare because most people in, in my experience at that age range who were black or who were Hispanic, who were, you know, and, and Brown and, and who were, you know, they come from less educated families, right? Like Chris and I talk about like how most of the time we're parents to our parents, right. Um, just because you learn more. Mm-hmm. right so that that creates a unique situation where most kids don't decide to step up and take leadership. most of them are, are you know like figure out a way to help themselves out of that situation. most kids and rightfully so, right they feel defeated or they 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 get you know self esteem mm-hmm. issues or they get like this sense of hopelessness or and they might try to fit in or, you know, whatever the case is. Right. And, and so there was, I think, a unique sense of trust that was established, at least on my end with him, which was, we have unity in our circumstance and our ambitions. Um, and and that helped create, I think, a very deep bond um, as, you know, because being being poor and trying to start a business like you take hits and you take some hard hits along that road um and being able to like know you can depend on someone right because it's not it's different than when you start a business and like your family and friends can support you and like you have help and there's others around you that you know you have connections or like you can get help blah 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 like when we first started, we had nothing, right? Like we were broke college students making money off scholarship and we made more money than most of our family. Um, Our friends were other people in similar situations, so you can't ask them for anything. And we live in a city at that time, whose debt to income ratio is one of the worst in the countries. So everybody's broke, right? Like around us and everybody who's not broke, isn't sharing it and doesn't want to talk to two kids, doesn't want to mentor them. Um, so at that point in time, when we start having someone there, who you like have their back, they have your back. And you don't have to question it. There's never a doubt in like, at least my mind, there was never a doubt like, oh, you know, if we put ourselves in X or Y situation, are they going to come through, right? It was always like, I think X or Y situation is going to be good. Let's try it. And then, you know, same thing, vice versa. And just be like, all Mm -hmm. right, let's fucking go for it, right? And we would try it, right? And sometimes we like crashed and burned and it was horrible. But like, there was always this sense of, You're just as crazy as I am. And like, there was an interesting thing, which is, I think our ambitions were aligned, our coming of age stories were similar. And we provided value to each other because I think even though other people might not see it as such, like when we speak with each other, we have very different thought patterns. The way he sees the world is very different than the way I see the world. The way he solves problems is very different than the way I solve problems. And that duality, I think for me mm-hmm. helped enormously develop myself as a person. Cause I always knew that if my way didn't work, I can try his way and that probably will work. And almost always between, you know, mm-hmm. one of those two ways worked, right? It was just a question of figuring out which one, um, which on a personal level is, I mean, I think great, right. To have, to have a friend who like, like I know that like, you know, in, I don't know, 10 years, 20 years when like I'm an old fart and I have little kids running around, right. Like (laughs) having someone who helped you get there, still be around in your life. I think is really cool. Um, Mm -hmm. And by the same token, um, a lot of the lessons learned, right? So there's 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 the friendship side, which is awesome. But I think on the professional side, like, I still call him, right? Like, for shit, because there's there's this idea of always learning. So, um, honestly, I think it started as, as, like, a casual, friendly, fun, kind of joking around friendship. And through that, like, playing around, I think I discovered, like... Hey, we can be much closer friends and then, Hey, we can run a business together. And, um, and that kind of naturally evolved, but yeah, it really just started with us, like messing around, fucking around, you know, playing with these intellectual concepts and, and, uh, that, that feeling of joking, that feeling of, you know, this, this, I think really created, uh, the beginning of what would, I guess, evolve into our, our friendship, over time and, and our, our professional relationship um, over time. But it, it really just started with, you know, jokes. Sometimes I joke too much. He's more serious than I am sometimes. But um, I'm, I'm <laughs> as they say in Spanish, un um, which loosely translates to an annoying little shit sometimes. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> quick, quick, quick follow up question. Not, not with the fact that you being an annoying little shit, but <laughs> how did you foster um, kind of that ambition? Like, was that just always something you naturally had, or like, what do you think caused you to be so ambitious? I, I can
2: step <laughs> uh, in. Uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's succinctly put. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think for for me. I, I would say I would say poverty gives me the drive to keep going. Um, or, you know, today, escaping, like, I want to set myself up so that I never have to imagine a world where I am poor. And then I want to go further, which is I never want to imagine a world where anyone's poor. Um, and, and that can be in, in thought right in education that can be in in food in water and you know basic human needs but being poor and there are different levels of poor right but like there there are people that were worse off than i was and there are there are people that were much better off and then there were people that were just not poor at all right but um there's a certain level of poverty which when you fall below It almost doesn't matter if you go lower, right? It's just this, this incredible discomfort chronically. So throughout day, like every day of your life, it like pervades every minute of your life, like every action you take is somehow tangentially related to poverty for the first, you know, 15 years of a life, it
2: it seeps into your self-esteem just to yeah that in there.
0: yeah i mean mm-hmm. I, again for a lot of people it does i i got lucky that i i i feel like if i wasn't poor i'd be an arrogant little shit, and i i feel like at times <laughs> i come off as an arrogant little shit. so um it, to some degree I, I i am thankful that i had poverty in earlier life um as i believe it mellowed me out a bit um but it it also gave me a drive, right? It, it gives you this sense of it gives you an ability to problem solve, right? Almost out of necessity. So you have to be creative. If if you're not creative, you will likely die. Um uh-huh. and that that in, in, in my case and, and I think in Chris's case also that, that at times was quite literal. Um so yeah. Quick Yeah, no. Um oh, sorry, the delay the second thing, which I think directed that drive, right. Cause that, that was poverty creates the fuel by which you can burn the flame. Right. But for me, but the thing that directed that was, uh, and a, a, probably a sense of grandeur that was imprinted on me by, by my, my grandparents and my parents, particularly my mom. Um, this sense of like grand responsibility and and idolization of like so like i i was told to idolize like you know leonardo da vinci socrates right sophocles plato uh descartes like all these great thinkers were thrust upon me right in early age right i'm talking like the age of like two and beyond right repeatedly day after day right As like study them look at them right they you know they were remembered and so this sense of when you when you read about their lives and the impact that they had on the world if you read enough of their books like when you read somebody's scripture when you read the notes that somebody leaves behind for like time to remember them by you feel a sense of connection i think to that person and and to some degree i thought of them as and and their achievements in this world as like things i can do right and and so i held myself right and in in a sense it was this idea of if i achieve this right if i achieve this grand scale whereby my impact is positively remembered through time right then i'll probably escape poverty right and like at the time i was so poor i was so unaware of like what not poverty looks like that like i didn't realize that like if i achieved that i would be so far beyond anything that is remotely related to poverty that like i just took it as like this is what i need to do and that was imprinted in me for i mean literally hmm. from a very early age and so you know, decade after decade of that um, and, and, and that fire, you, you kind of naturally just become this like, there's literally no project that I've ever heard anybody tell me that I'm like, oh, that seems hard or mm, I'll shy away from that. Right. It, it's uh, you almost feel like it's a challenge, right? Like, can I impact X or Y or Z? And And working on that grand scale has always been very attractive to me. And, and you know I guess partly because of that.
2: Hmm.
1: So so you'd say that ambition was the co- the combination of, of poverty and then also kind of reading, reading the great, or like reading Socrates. having a goal. That, yeah, kinda... I
0: mean, so having 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 some fuel to your fire, right? Some discomfort. Some. It doesn't necessarily have to be poverty, right? Mm-hmm. It could be. I feel like you know, to, I, I, I believe it's actually. Uh, A lot of people, right, that, like, achieve things in life or, like, are interesting or, like, do cool stuff, like, most of them had shit childhoods, right? Um, And it's not always like, oh, they were poor. Sometimes it's like, oh, they were bullied or, like, sometimes it's like, oh, my mother was an alcoholic, my father was a drug addict, right? Like, um, it's always some hardship that they face early on. And I think that creates that fire, that creates that drive, that creates that fuel right and it doesn't always have to be as potent it could simply be like oh my you know my parents were negligent right or like whatever um and then the second thing which i think is is vital and uh, was vital to me at least is having a a target to aim for having something to achieve something actionable something tangible Mm -hmm. something that understanding what success looked like was so critical because I knew I always knew with every action that, and I today I still do like with every action that I take, like does this move me closer to that goal? Um, and yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So I guess my my next question would be: so there's a lot of people, right, who who live in poverty, right, and a lot of people that have that essentially the fuel, right? So I guess how yeah. I guess what, what was the difference in terms of, and a lot of people have goals, right? I assume. And then targets. So I guess what, what's kind of what in your opinion would be kind of the difference or, or how people achieve, like how some people you said that, that no no one kind of yeah. around you at the moment kind of had the same ambitions that you did. Right. But you were with people in very similar situations. Right. So I guess my question would be like, um, kind of I, what, uh,
0: what would be, yeah, the yeah, 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 great question. And I honestly would chalk it up to great parenting. Um, so i i got lucky with my grandparents to some degree i think there's a couple things that when i look at poverty seem to be like almost constant which is you develop a skill to problem solve but you're always focused on immediate problems so you're focused on how do i get food on my table today you're focused Mm -hmm. on how do i get water today you're focused on how do i feed my kids how do i quiet the kid down right now right like you're focused on increments of improvement that are usually within the span of like minutes, hours, or like a day or two, right? Like thinking about a week is normally too big of a risk because you neglect the things that will kill you immediately. Um, And so Hmm. that inability, like this, this, quote of like poverty stifles innovation is, is, is critical, right? Like I, I honestly do think it's incredibly vital because that, that person isn't going to be focused on, on, you know, solving infrastructural problems and thinking outside of themselves. If they haven't been able to eat food for two weeks and like, they have no way to source it. They don't have water near them. And like they're, they have nothing or nowhere to turn to, to get it. Like that person does not give a shit about aqueducts. That person does not give a shit about like economics that that person can care less about any of those things. That person cares about a bite of food Mm -hmm. and some water and like never even the concept of guaranteeing that for themselves later on. And so that short term thinking becomes a habit. And I think one of the things that benefited me is I was afforded the luxury of being spoiled enough or insulated enough from that reality and that hardship in earlier life that I still felt it. It was impossible not to, right? Given where I was, but it was not my concern to solve. And then two, there's about three things here, two was I was empowered I was given permission to some degree, right? That I can solve my own problems. And and I was I was taught how to resolve my own problems, how to identify my own problems, and how to take ownership of those problems and solve them. So if I knew that I wasn't going to get food today, I could go get food. And sometimes I didn't solve it in the best of ways, right? Like I went doing like parkour basically, not really. Right. But like, I went, I climbed on the roof. I went down like a couple blocks and I would steal people's guavas from their guava trees and like come back. Right. And like bring home guava. And like, sure, it was a piece of shit thing to do, but it was this idea of like, I solved my own problem. Some other like I would go to like, uh, I don't know Mm -hmm. if they're called aqueducts or like, but basically where like all the water treatment stuff was, and it was a very warm and humid environment. And it would always be filled with bullfrogs. So I would go hunt bullfrogs and then come back, you know, eat some frogs. Um, But it was just this idea of, I can solve my problems. And then the second thing was this idea of, which, which again goes back to the whole like idolizing these people, right? is this concept of if you can't solve it today you can figure it out like so much of like these great minds right and and their accomplishments and, and and their achievements and their characters as people is related around problems they solve for others right Chris uses the word the the quote like the words jobs to be done right they they Their job that they did was they solved something for some arbitrarily large number of people. And so this idea of I can figure it out if I don't know it was the last thing, the last piece of the puzzle where (laughs) I, I could identify a problem then, right? Like I'm having difficulties finding food, right? Boom, problem identified. And then I can go solve for the short term, I could go hunt frogs, great. But then I can go solve for the long term, right, as well. And be like, okay, this is how I can get frogs, I can mate frogs, I can do all this, right? And I can think about it in the back of my mind while I'm doing other things, such that when I come upon a solution, I feel confident enough in my problem-solving ability and myself to say, all right, let's do it, and I'm willing to take that risk. Um,
1: and and you're saying, kind of, your your grandparents,
0: yeah.
1: kind of helped you foster that confidence in yourself. Because I mean, there's yeah, like how how yeah, I think it's
0: it's all about small achievements. Um, I don't know that the confidence in myself was given to me by them, um, but I, I think it was a proxy of. When, when you are given this ability that, Hey, you can solve your own problems, right? And you're given that permission to try. I feel like were you to fail at those, at those things, your self-esteem might be hurt. But the interesting thing for me is that a lot of the problems I was trying to solve, I had solved before. I just done it with other people. So like a simple example would be like, Oh, I'm thirsty let me go get water from the well, bring it back, boil it and drink it. Right. And like, there's something different about that day. Right. Like when I pick up that bucket and like, I realize I'm going to go grab that water today alone. Like no one's coming with me. This is just me getting water. And like I've done it 10, you know, 10,000 times, not 10,000, but like some really large number of times before. Right. And so I already knew what to do. It was just this idea of like, it's on me today, right? That that responsibility and that ownership. And when I go and I do it and I drink it and I succeed, that gives you a huge boost in confidence. And that, you know, perpetuated day over day um, just builds this innate, right? Like, cause you, you become this, when when you realize, I think there's such an, an empowering feeling when you realize you can take care of yourself, right? Especially at such an early age, right? Like when, when you're very young and you realize like, I can just take care of myself. And I mean, sure, you still depend on other people and you welcome their help. and And it's always nice to be in a group that takes care of each other. But having that confidence of, I can do this if they fail, or I can step up if they fail. Um, just through those small increments of success, right. Um, really helped me out. I think if I was a parent and, and you know, I, and I've thought about this, right. I, I would want to set up situations for my children that were hard enough that they had to think, but easy enough that I knew they would solve them. Um, and present those frequently in their life, um, so that they can learn how to problem solve and they can learn how to take ownership and and i I can give them the confidence and the tools that they need to like succeed should nobody else be around to help them or myself, right like I pass away. Um, yeah, I would say that really the mm-hmm. confidence comes from continued success in you know previous trials right
1: Mm. so my so my next kind of question on that it's kind of a two-part question um first kind of how what would you say to kind of people who are maybe in a similar situation that you were in um or how yeah what how would you kind of build build that sense of yeah, I guess how'd how you go about doing it um to kind of build that sense now, right? If if people didn't have the experiences kind of growing up, um what would you suggest now? I guess what I guess my question is worded phrased definitely like people in, in a similar situation that you were in, what advice would you that's give That's
0: hard. That's a that's a great question, but it's a hard question to ask. And and actually, if I may Um, Chris, I wanted to ask you a question on this same vein, because I think if we answer this question, we can answer the question, which is let's take Katie's question and let's ask it with respect to our mothers. What can you tell your mom or what can I tell my mom that would change, you know, their situation, their behavior, their comportment, their, or, and do you think, which is the other one, do you think there is a set of things that can be done that would be, that would change the behavior today? Why or why not?
2: Um, I don't know that this answer, this is a truthful answer, but maybe not a useful one. I've thought about this, actually thought about this question previously. And I think what I would have to be tasked with would be to set up the security that my mother doesn't have to create the context and environment for her to be able to start taking small risks, and basically like, have her lean into like, basically being dynamic and changing herself and you know, self-improvement and all that, because at a certain point, like you're so close already to like the edge of like ruin that you just don't, I, it, you know, the calculus, the, the balance that they struck, at least that my mother struck is, you know, there's a whole other host of factors, right? So like, I'm not trying to, just so everyone's clear. I'm not trying to bad my mother. Like uh, there's other factors in play, but, uh, You know it's like the making the wrong move is like basically ruined but there's a difference right because me as a young guy like and whatever like you know i was born in the us i come from a whole completely different social cultural like background in my case you know i got to see another side like yeah i mean i don't care like if end up homeless or whatever, I'll figure it out for sure. But like that, I don't think, I think it's at a certain point you have to develop a sort of an emotional resilience. I think that's what it comes down to. It's like your core identity and, and everything like that. At a certain point, like you're forged, your experiences forge you and you have to develop a certain like self-reliance. It's like not to go too far, but like I think the difference between my mother's experiences being young and my experiences being young is, you know, she had her parents that would like come and soup in and because of economic circumstances and things like that, I knew that if I couldn't save myself, nobody was going to do that for me. So, so mm. it just helped me build like this foundation, um, like emotionally that I, you know, like no matter mm. what's happening, I'm going to figure it out. Um, you know, and, and now like in my like later life, like when things go bad in my immediate circle, like people tend to like look to me and like, you know, like for like support and help. But in my mother's case, because I think she has a different emotional like tool set, I have to create that sense of security and safety for her. And I think that that's true for a lot of people, right? Like what is the thing keeping, from, keeping people from getting out of their poverty? It is their poverty. Like um, it is like, And I mean that in, like, various senses, like, it is the risk of ruin if you get anything wrong and your lack of education and the fear and the, like, identity problems. But then also it's the realization of, like, Mm -hmm. because, like, I had a transformation personally where I realized I went from thinking I am poor to I am broke. And there's a very big difference. (laughs) Poverty is a mindset and broke is a state. And I realized that I just happened to be broke. Mm -hmm but I didn't have to be. Um, so there's the answer. It's like more security and like gradual steps for anyone listening who might be in that situation, look within yourself. And if you find that maybe you're not, you don't find that you have the emotional fortitude to be able to support yourself through anything that might come, then you know, take it step by step, climb, climb the rings on the ladder, uh, it's It's more about the process anyway than it is about your particular goals um, so mm. so just figure out how you can do your thousand you know swings and don't worry so much about knocking it out of the park um, so yeah, yeah that would be my advice
1: quick kind of follow up to, to that Chris um, so how how would you create? The context create this situation so like so i guess on the flip side right what would you tell let's say or is someone trying to help people in poverty right like, how would you go about doing so right like how would you i know that this flies that, that in the situation? face of
2: most conventional wisdom but um you gotta give people at least you know like i think about it like my my mother is someone that i have thought about like it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs like i make sure she's taken care of and then Mm-hmm. I present to her, it's, it's what marketing does. It's a job to be done. It is transformation. I present to mm-hmm. her what life could be like. And then I convince her that it is possible. And then I let her take it from there. Um, because I mean, you can't like, you, you can't, at, at the end of the day, there's truth to the personal responsibility narrative. But I think what is like missed is that, there's the whole environmental context surrounding that.
0: Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I would, sorry to interrupt, bro. I, uh, I just wanted to say that one, I, I absolutely agree with, with, with everything Chris has set up to hear, And I, and I wanted to paint an anecdote, um, quickly because I think there's something to be understood on particularly when i talk to people who don't come from poverty right that that they might not understand how to change it or how to help um and then also to the same token of when you are poor right what what does the other side look like and it, I'm, I'm gonna throw my my mom under the the bus for a second here right but like one of the worst things about poverty, right, is the stress that it creates for a person. And the the stress does more harm than any of the material things or actual circumstances around you. It is that stress that just kills you. I mean, it is, it is, It is chronic. It's like depression. It is a mental health thing. It is. And when I, when, when Chris says poverty is a mindset, right? I really think that the, that, that shift, the first thing is detaching yourself from that stress, right? Because that stress will literally eat you alive and kill you. Right. Right. And it's unproductive and it gets you nowhere. Right. Um, the there's, there's something about the, the particularly poverty and capitalism, right? Because there's this sense of, I'm in a rat race and I don't know if I'll make it right. And it's not, the the, there's there's such a huge issue with education right and and i'll give you an example right and this is early on first few years here in america with my mom right you go to a job right that you don't even know how on earth jobs work in america because this concept of getting paid for your time is not common in communism right um But it's not just communism that's the problem, right? It's not common if you don't, like, as people enter the workforce from an immigrant country, right? Like, the way that you get jobs is different. Usually, especially, like, Hispanic culture, it's a social thing. My friend's cousin hired me. And so you feel a sense of security in your job through that emotional attachment or relationship. This idea of, I am going to go work based on my experience is rare. And so they don't feel a sense of security in their job. Right. Um, day one. Right. And I don't know if that's, that's particularly unique to Hispanics. I don't know if that'll be the same for like black or Asian, um, or, or some, you know, other culture, uh, that that's a minority here in America. But for Hispanic, the first thing is even if you have a job, even if you get a job, right, you don't feel safe because you don't understand why you have the job. Um, then the second thing is, right. When you go and you do this job, right. You, most of the time, especially if you're an immigrant, right. Or you're poor, right. Um, you typically lack education, uh, or you lack a language or you somehow feel like you are not equipped to do this job, right. And you might, you might not be right, but neither were the other people around you. Right. And at some point you figure it out, right. At some point you actually can do the job, but that feeling of, I don't know if I'm good enough, that feeling of, I might always be fired. That feeling of is today my last day, even three years into having a job it like almost never leaves you. Um, and that stress builds right week after week day after day for years. It it becomes intense. You pair that with you're being paid shit most of the time. Right. I think the average salary in in Florida is like 40 K. Right. After taxes, you have 30 K. Then you have like 1.5 K in rent. Right. Right. Realistically, your disposable income to like feed your children, have amenities in your house, and like drive like you usually are in the red. And so, when you go and and you have this stress of oh, I need to book more hours or I need to, right? So you're stretching yourself thin because you don't understand another way, right? you literally don't know that you could do something different because it was never taught to you because you never learned it. And because this thing works just good enough that if you do just enough overtime hours, and if you bust your ass for just enough hours, you'll get by just enough and you're praying and hoping to God that like you don't get an overdraft fee, your credit card interest rate doesn't go up, but you don't understand why or how those things work. There's no sense of predictability in that for you because you often aren't educated in finances enough to understand how credit works or how overdraft fees work or how any of that stuff works. So you just have this sense of lingering doom where you know the rich man or the banks or whoever's gonna fuck you at like some arbitrary point in time for no arbitrary reason, right? And you think that the work that you're doing at some arbitrary employer and all that effort that you're putting in should be translated to, you know, a, a fruitful life and a fruitful existence and happiness. And it never does, but you get stuck in that wheelhouse and then you go and like for my mom, for example, most days, like when I was younger, not anymore, but like, especially when we first got here, like she would wake up like five, 6.00 AM right? She'd make breakfast and she would ditch. I'd wake up, breakfast would be ready. I'd eat, I'd go to school, right? When I came back from work, I mean, when I came back from school, she would not be home until like three, four 5 PM. She'd come home at that time and she'd start cooking to like, go sell empanadas at Miami Dade college. Right? And then she'd go sell empanadas at Miami Dade College because her day job wasn't enough, right? But she'd she'd spent all that time cooking, all that stuff, all that time, she didn't know how to price, right? She didn't understand anything about business. Nobody taught her, she just knew she needed more money. So she would sell these empanadas at a loss, right? The cost of goods was higher than the cost of, but she saw it as another revenue stream, right? And then she'd get home at like 11 o'clock at night, beat the fuck up from working like more than 12 hours continuously right and at that point in time in that like one hour before she had to like go to sleep and wake up before bed she had to fit everything else in she had to fit laundry in she had to fit cooking in she had to fit doing the bills she had to fit anything right and most of the time what happens is you get burnt right like literally that we as people working you know 15, 18 hours, day over day, over day, over day, not everybody can do that. And so those free little moments that you have tend to go to de-stressing, right? So they'd go to partying or they'd go to watching something on TV or because the stress would literally kill you. Like it, it, not literally, but like you feel like it would. And so when you tell that person, right, going through all this, hey, go study this and you'll fix your problem, there are immediate responses in what fucking time, right? Like, in, in what time am I gonna do this, right? Because they don't have, and it goes back to Chris's idea of creating a sense of security for them, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure if somebody were to tell my mom at that point in time in, in her life, hey, don't worry about selling empanadas when you get back from work, right? I'll give you the extra two to $500 a week, right? just study this. Right. And that could have been how to build a business that could have been anything else, right? She was already selling empanadas. She might as well learn how to do it right. Right. Um, but just that sense of security of don't worry, you'll be okay. You have time to grow as a person, right? Because poverty creates the sense of, I can't grow because growing is risky and I have no time for it. And the second that you stop improving, you're fucked, you get stuck and you stagnate and inflation eats you alive, right? Uh, and, And that is one of the biggest problems with poverty, which is between the lack of education, the lack of financial security, right? Or resource security, depending on the country that you're in, right? And the lack of support from those around you, there is no way rarely in that person's mind, right? Like it is not a thought that they think about. It's not that like they imagine it and oh, I don't know how to do it. It's the thought of imagining it is risky to them. And that that's the problem, right? Allowing them, giving them the ability, right? the, the permission, so to speak, the support, the, whatever it is, they need right to take that time to just think and just learn and just do something without that sense of support and security. Um, I've, I'd find it really, really, and you know, an education on the other side of that. Um, I would find it really, really, really hard. Um, it is hard to pull yourself out of poverty. Um, like it is, it is very hard. Like when I compare and Chris and I talked about this a lot, when we chat with other friends who are founders, right? And we compare their founder stories to our founder stories. They are not the same story, right? Um, and it it really just boils down to mm-hmm. when Chris and I started, we didn't have support, right? Like at all, right? Like. We would go and i was telling this story to a friend of mine who is now a hispanic founder dealing with similar issues right but like we would go and we would sit in a room right and this still happens to us right i'm sure chris can remember a few of these right but like we would go and we would sit in a room with people who are supposed to advise us and they're giving advice that they believe is genuine and they believe is good and to be honest it was well intended right but Their advice a lot of the times was, and this related like around fundraising, right? They would be like, oh, well, you know, why don't you just go do a friends and family round? And then like that would solve all your problems. Just get a couple thousand from some of your friends or family. And then when you're set up, you know, then you come back and you talk to these angels and like blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. And then they would go on for like 30 minutes talking about Okay. How do you talk to the angels and how do you deal with VCs after you have some money in the bank? Right. When in reality, that's worthless to you at that point in time, because we don't have friends and family to raise from like probably by a margin of like at least 10 X or more, Chris and I are the wealthiest peoples in our family. Right. And we're usually the wealthiest among our friends. So like, who are we going to turn to? Right. There's no one to turn to, for that support. There's no one to get you from, you know, nothing to, okay, you have some breathing room, right? So you're forced to be that person for yourself, right? Where to fund your business, you have to start a business, but to fund that business, you have to start another one. And so when you go and you, you, you figure out how to turn, you know, three businesses into one, right? Your, your story becomes much harder, right? But when you present yourself to a VC, you can't tell them, right? It's like this Airbnb idea, right? You can't tell them like, oh, I am funding this like, you know, retail, real estate, marketplace, selling cereal boxes, but to fund the cardboard sourcing and all that stuff, for the cereal boxes, I'm doing Spanish tutoring on the side, right? Like, you tell that to a VC and they're gonna be like, "I don't want to fucking talk to you. Get out of here, right?" Like, um, they'll 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 laugh you out of a room, right? But the reality is, if if you don't have a source of income, you have nobody in your family you can turn to. You don't have a choice. That's the reality for a lot of founders that that come from you know. Uh, at least in Miami, right? Black, Hispanic, right? Like immigrant, Indian, Pakistani, all that, all those sorts of founders, like you're stuck figuring out how to pull yourself up when, when it's really, really hard. I I really, I don't recommend it. It's not for the faint of heart. Um, It's, 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 and I shouldn't say I don't recommend it because it's it's almost a necessity, right? Like, I don't think you're going to get anywhere if you don't do it, but you might not necessarily have to do it with the ambitions that like Chris and I had, right? Like if you can get to like 60K, k hundred K a year, and that's your goal and that's your ambition, you're going to live a very comfortable, happy life. Right. And like, you should definitely do that. Right. To like anyone listening, right? Like if that's your goal, fucking start today. Right. There's a book called Getting Started from Zero. Is it called Getting Started from Zero, Chris? I don't remember. Starting from zero? Start from zero. Yeah,
2: yeah, buy it. It's, it's $12.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And like if if you don't have $12, listen to it once. Well, um, listen. It is, it'll save you a bunch of time. Great. Yeah. Um,
2: just just listen to the Indie Hackers podcast too. Just just Binge that. Uh, yeah. Because, like, the whole thesis is, you know, building businesses that actually make money and grow on their own and can, like, sustain your life, which is opposite to the way that you may have thought about <laughs> businesses. So, if you, like, follow the VC mm-hmm. uh, track. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. That's just my two Thank notes, you, Chris. Uh, PSA. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if that answers the question, but the, the short answer is I don't have a great answer. I think it's hard. I think it's complex and I really think there needs to be more social support, um, to try and deal with that problem. Uh, because it becomes a problem for everyone. I think, right? Like when you have people that can't contribute to the economy, um, and, and you just neglect them, like. There's mm-hmm. still people. They're still going to need resources. They're still going to eat up resources, right? Um, and you're not getting any opportunity out of it, right? Um, so I don't know. It's it's a hard question to solve, but I think it's one worth solving. And I'm I'm actually that's one of the things that I'm working on right now uh, as a project. Um, or you know, a lot of what I'm working on right now is related to similar stuff, but.
1: Um, I, I want to come back to, I want to talk to you more about your project right now, but before we kind of move to that, I, I have another question. What would you tell people or what would you wish people born in privilege would know or what, like, if, what about the way that they either interact or what they think? Yeah. What do you wish people born? That's a great question. Know?
0: Um, I would say, uh, start a podcast, copy Katie. Um, so I'm, I'm, yeah i no, i'm I'm half joking, half serious, right? Um, thank you. <laughs> so this has just been my experience with privileged people um, particularly here in, in America, um, a little bit in Canada, a lot in the UK and some in Europe. Um, their, their mentality towards those less privileged, particularly those that might seem extreme right? To, to them, right? Like, you know, in an extreme situation relative to them, there's always, I think, some form of prejudice, right? And, and it falls into different categories and buckets, but there's always some form of prejudice, right? About that person. And then about how or do, or what if I approach that person, right? The, the possibility of an interaction with that person, right? And very few of them, very few that I've, and again, this is just my experience, think about or take the time to think about a relationship with that person in any capacity, right? Like a mentor to that person, uh, 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 an acquaintance to that person, right? Um, that, That I find is very rare. So that going back to the prejudice side and the prejudice buckets, the, the first one that I see particularly a lot, you know, here in America and, and especially in like Florida and Southeast U S which is, Oh, they did it to themselves. Right. They fucked up. They like, they did drugs. The, you know, they're, they're fucking, they're a prostitute. Like hmm. they, they, I don't know, they're a gangster they're whatever. Right. There's always this sense of, oh, they did it to themselves. Um, The the other one that I get oftentimes is fear, right? Which is the person's like, oh, are they going to rob me? Or what if they kill me? Or what if they shoot me? Or, you know, sometimes it's just social anxiety, right? Like, I don't know what to say. Like, who do I, what do I, how can I talk? You know, like, and there's this freak out moment. Um, And in that fear, there's one in particular, right? Which is very unique and and kind of toxic in my experience, which is they'll take from me, right? I don't want to talk like I don't want to associate or I don't want anything with them because they'll steal it, right? If they find out I have X, Y, or C, they'll steal it from me. Um, And When those are the three ways that most people think or associate with those, you know, other people less privileged than them. It is really hard to start a relationship on that foundation, right? For either party. Right. Um, the, the privileged folk, that I've met and not, again, not all of them, but now on the other side of the equation, the privileged folk that I've met that want to help usually shove things down that person's throat or like, oh, why don't you just, you know, get a credit card, open a bank account, right? Like do these things, right? And I think they don't take enough time to understand where that person's mindset is that person's diction, what that person's problems are. Right. Cause like when you tell a person, oh, you just open up a bank account, right? They're going to tell you how, right? Like, how do I open up a bank account? Where do I go? What do I do? Where, where is a bank? What is the point of having a bank? Right? What would that change in my life? Right. How is a bank going to improve me eating better? Right. Um, that lack of taking the time to listen to them and understanding what they value is rare. And, and, and so oftentimes, they don't know that those things are better for them. They don't know how those things are better for them. They don't know how those things solve their day-to-day problems. Right. And some of them do, some of them do know, Hey, a bank account would be better. Hey, a credit card would be better. Right. But then they have another problem. They can't afford a phone. They don't have a laptop. They don't have a computer. They don't have anyone they can turn to for those things. And they don't know about like public libraries. Right. But if you don't take the time to sit with them, chat with them, understand where they're coming from and then say, Hey, well, why don't you go check out, you know, this public library, you know, you can go there and you know, we can do this or that. Right. The biggest problem is that eats of time. Right. And a lot of people are not willing to put in that time, um, because it's their day and their lives and, and, and their, their things. Uh, and, and, you know, there's this idea of, well, there's nothing in it for me. Right. Um, So what I would do maybe is if I was very privileged, um, which I've I've thought about is I'd create a nonprofit such that I can incentivize people through money to actually take that time. Um, And I can create champions in those communities as, as we succeed and move people through a pipeline. Um, and educate them and get them to teach other people, um, and, and create kind of a mentor type situation, which is my, 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 my second point to to people in privileges. Sometimes people who grew up with certain things around them, they take it for granted and they don't understand a lot of the times how that wasn't everybody's experience, right? Like a lot of people don't know what a business is. Like a lot, right? Like there are 300 million people in America. I would bet money like 50 million of them don't know what the fuck a business is, right? Like they might know the name. They might understand like conceptually a business sells things, right? But like they have no idea how to start one, what one does, what the benefits are, any of that stuff. Um, That number might be higher. Um, Simply just having a conversation with those people like is, is super valuable. Um, and, and it can, it can change not only their way of life, but sometimes what they present to you, because like you grow up in, 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 in kind of this more pattern, more regimented way, their creative tendencies can give you a huge leg up, right? and I I realize this now, like with Cuba, right? Like I, I'm training a team over there on like the way we do things here. Right. But that's new to them. They have no idea like how many people do things that way. So they question it willy nilly, right? They're like, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? And what about that? And can we do this or that? And sure. Like 90% of the things they say are going to be like, you know, well, not this because that, or not this because that, but then there's that 10%, which you just get stuck with, wait, holy shit, I can't believe nobody's thought of this, right? And, and there's so much opportunity that can be taken out of that 10%, right, for, for anybody, right? There's so much that I think we as people can learn from each other and benefit from each other, right? Because um, the less privileged... Can impart some of your behavioral patterns, can impart some of the practices that somebody more privileged or more wealthy has in their day to day life, the way that they comport themselves, the habits that they do, the things that they focus on, right? But then the privileged and the wealthy can also figure out the problem solving skills, the creative thinking, right? This idea of empathy with others, right? Because it, and I'm not saying that the, the, the more privileged aren't empathetic. I'm saying that when you are less privileged, you are forced to be empathetic, right? You, that skill set has to be developed. Otherwise, it is very hard for you to socialize and move forward in life. Um, I would, yeah, I would just say, I, I guess if, if I had to leave a quote, hmm. it would be, take the time to know each other. Whoever those people may be. Yeah.
1: Hmm. S- super interesting. Um, two follow up questions. Um, the first one, can you just I think I know what you mean, but can you elaborate a little bit more on essentially? Yeah. Yeah. When you're in poverty, you're, you're forced to. Yeah. Good question. Um, you're, you're socializing in stuff.
0: When you are poor, um, and you're trying to change or do something or get anywhere. Uh, oftentimes you don't, um, all right, actually I'll start with a joke, but like, it's a pretty real joke. I was watching uh this uh show the other day called Big Mouth. Um I think it's a great show, by the way, for kids going through puberty and you gotta deal with all your weird shit that comes up in puberty. Great show it. Um if if you know if there are religious parents watching this, be prepared. Your kid might have some questions. Um, so but there's There's this funny, funny to me, right? It might not be funny to others. I apologize if anyone gets offended, right? But there's, there's this funny part of the show where there's a a black girl who has a white mother and a black father, but her black father has morphed his comportment to be able to be with a white woman because his cultural expression has been changed to match this woman's cultural expression as, as has hers, right? So they found this, this third mutual cultural expression between the two. And so this girl who, who's, who's mixed race, right? But she, she's basically black in the show, right. As far as appearance and she behaves in this kind of third like cultural expression way. And she, for the first time is bonding with a a black friend and this black friend goes from, you know, he has a dial on his right arm and the dial says, you know, black, hella black cracker pretzel, you know, a polished, whatever. And it was basically every time he turned the dial, his lexicon would completely change his comportment would change. His diction would change the way he carried himself would change. Right. And he'd go from yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Of course, ma'am. to yo, what's up, dad? What right. Um, and, and it, it, it creates interesting, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a good social commentary, right? Because when you come from the minority and you want to interact with the majority, right. Or when you come from really any, dis- it's not minority to majority, it's any group to any other group, right there is this sense of if I want to communicate with you and I want to be received well, and I want to overcome all your prejudices that you might have toward me, right? Which oftentimes is the case, right? Which again, no fault of the other person's right. Um, but it just is the case, uh, that, that person feels a necessity to, to change, who they are right and so who like i am right as a person is very dear to me but like who somebody sees me as right is really dependent on who you are right it's more of a reflection of what i think you might want to see right and that that necessity to understand that other person's mindset is so vital because like when you go to apply for a job, right? Take any Cuban who comes from Cuba, right? And, And like the way that you talk, if you do it at a job interview here in America, I mean, it's offensive that they would do this, but like, they would, they would laugh you out of a room, right? Like, uh, a Cuban could come in and be like, yo, bro, I did like this, this, that, like I worked on all these cool ass projects and like, you know, uh, I'm super game, like to fuck around with all y'all. Like, you know, super, let's do it. What's up? Party time tonight. Let's get lit as fuck. Tomorrow we show up late to work, but then work (laughs) 12 hours. Sounds good. Let's do it. Right. And like this idea of like party and friendship and whatever, which is common over there, If you were to say that at a job interview here in like fucking suit and tie, like you might get in some trouble, right? Or like you wouldn't be hired, right? So when you walk into the room, you change the way you talk. Oh, Mm -hmm. yes, mister, you know, uh, whatever Um, I, I did, I went to this school, I I, I learned these things. I'm excited for the opportunity, right? Uh, I have some experience with this in the past, you know, like, your demeanor, the way that you talk changes. And, and it's not just that you change it arbitrarily. It's you to get those opportunities, to be able to take advantage of those things and provide, because at the end of the day, you're going to be providing some value, right? That's why they're hiring, right? But to even be able to do that, you have to be so in tune with that other person, whoever's in that position of power, You have to be so in tune with what their expectations of a successful hire or a successful partnership or a successful, whatever you're arbitrarily trying to get is that you develop a knack for it, right? Because to move forward in life, to get access to anything, you have to change who you are because who you are originally is just not going to be accepted in any of the places that you might want to go. Right. And what ends up happening is as the relationship builds itself, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. You'll bleed into each other. Right? So they'll, they'll become more like you, you'll become more like them. and, And at some point there's a good synergy, but at first, to, to get your foot in that door to, to establish that relationship. Um, you have to have to have to learn how to listen to that other person's needs and wants. And the interesting thing is that, um, most of the time, one of the reasons that those who are poor develop it better is because they need to, right? Like if you look at the power dynamics of an interviewer and an interviewee, right? The interviewer, I mean, who cares, right? Like they're going to interview 10 more people right after that person, right? But as an interviewee who's poor, you might never get another opportunity like this. This might be the only one you ever get in your life, right? You might spend the next 80 years of your life fucked, homeless, and like hating yourself because you fucked up this moment right here, right? And so you have to step up when it comes to like everything, micro expressions, social cues, like who is this person? What are they like? What are they not like? How do I talk? Right? How do I stand? How do I look? Do I smile? Do I not smile? Right? There's such an enormous focus. And this is not just me, right? Like when I talk to my mom, when I talk to her friends, when I talk to other Hispanic people who have like built careers for themselves, right? Like, that is such a common thing to hear right like oh no you just you know you present yourself xyz way right it turns out to be a superpower if you develop it later like if you develop it good enough because then when you go to sales right i mean it really helps right that's that is sales right but you know most most not every hispanic is in a position of sales right which mm-hmm. by the way i i would if i'm ever doing sales and hiring salespeople. Dear God, am I hiring, like, Hispanic Americans or Black-American?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so interesting. Interesting. Um, the, the other kind of question that I had um, is you said, you mentioned kind of the habits and behaviors that people born to privilege have. Um, or people who have kind of had the the ability to,
0: yeah, to folks and grow. Good, good what, point. What kind um, of
1: are those?
0: The short answer is different. I don't know them all because I didn't grow up privileged. Um, the the longer answer is the ones that I've noticed. Um, I mean, I've you know my let's call them, you know, for not, not to throw them under a racial bus. Right. But like my white friends, my white middle-class friends, right. Or who grew up white and middle-class, right. You grow up around the concept of, okay, I got to go work at my job. I got to go get a promotion. Right. I got to deal with my 401k, right. Like those conversations are not foreign to you, right. Conversations about money are not foreign to you. Conversations sometimes they're even seen as in positive lights. Oh, hey, honey, we got, you know, I got a bonus at work, and like we can buy a lawnmower now or whatever, you know, I'm making something up, right? Um these credit, right? The concept of credit, the concept of paying bills, right? Like all these sorts of concepts, right? you get the opportunity, despite how obfuscated you might be from it, to grow up around people who think about those things, right? Take time for those things, who understand those things, or have come to understand those things, right? I'm not saying that they, they, they were necessarily born knowing those things either, right? Or that, but, but at some point they learned it and now they exhibit that behavior around their, their young, right? And, one of the downsides of growing up poor is that usually you don't have that around you, right? So like my mom knows nothing about credit to this day, right? Like the concept of a credit card is about as far as she's got. You got one, you use it, pay it down, right? Um, but like a retirement account, life insurance, right? Like equity as a concept, right? Compounding interest as a concept, right? Like all these sorts of things right that are like oh hey you know we should probably do this right the concept of if you don't like your job go get another one right or how do you get a promotion like all those sorts of things are things that seem maybe so trivial right but a hispanic kid growing up poor a black kid growing up poor even a white kid growing up poor right? Like in, 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 in like Alabama, right? Like they might not be exposed to those things. They might never know what those things are. So when they go and they enter the real world, like that's all a learning curve for them, whereby somebody else might have a credit card already. Their parents co-signed on a bank account, right? Like you get this, not only do you get a leg up right in the sense that you have maybe a handful of things, to set you up, but you have a sense of security in that like, and it's almost innate I've noticed that like, oh, my dad will help me or my mom will help me. Right. Um, that that pattern of thinking almost allows you to take more risk because you have something dependable. You have this going back to the sense of security, right? Um, you have it available to you by proxy of your parents. Um, I don't know that poor kids will have that, right? And not not every poor kid at least. And the vast majority will not. Um, so not only do they not have that lexicon and that thought pattern, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a higher friction road. It's a, it's, it's more of an uphill climb to figuring it out, I think.
2: Yeah. Sam Altman said something that sticks with me and that one day I'd like to like, have it not be true. But he said, basically in his experience, what's the best piece of advice that he could give founders, you know, that he's found that's correlated most with success. And he basically said, uh, pick your parents well, um, so, and it's out there on, a, on a interview somewhere. And I remember watching it and I'm like, well, shit.
1: <laughs> hey.
2: Hey, did you see what I shared? Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 That's
2: it's so funny how it came up immediately.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a sad quote, but it's yeah. also very accurate. I think. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Just for the listener, so that you're not like, what's going on, I uh, went to Google and I typed in advice for founders, Sam Altman, pick your parents and the first, like in the Omnibox or or in the like search engine result page, uh, it has a snippet that says, as Sam Altman says, the most important thing you can get to be a founder is to pick your parents well. That's a really sad statement about the world. And then there's part of an essay that says a lot of what makes a founder is set before they're old enough to drop out of college. It starts with nutrition
0: and security
2: and as much as possible love. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Sad, but true. Um,
1: Well, I think that's like those aspects kind of going back to the the education system. I mean, yeah, you, you can teach the concepts that you mentioned before, but kind of like, security and love. I mean, maybe security depending on how the system is built. But I guess love is something that, that, that'd be a tricky thing for, I believe, an education system to be able to well, possibly. Well, the way that... I,
0: I think one thing that, that is critical here, which is, is really what I'd be focused on, right, is... And, and really, I think it's what's at least helped me, right, which is learning to love yourself and, and understanding what that means. Right? Yeah. Being being able to just be happy alone, right? Being able to just like, if no one else supports you, fuck it, you're okay, right? I mean, it's not to say that you don't appreciate other support, right? It's always lovely to have friends and people to share life with and experience things with, but being content and giving yourself that sense of security, right? That's really powerful. I think, at least for me, it's helped me out quite a lot. but granted, I did that thanks to my grandpa, mm. so you know it, there there does need I think to be some initial you know parenting and and I think the educational system can take care of that. I don't see why we can't love each other or love somebody who who didn't you know come out of my vagina or like you know <laughs> come come out of you know yeah uh, yeah, you know what I mean I think. The society the
2: uh, the way that we're structured though we're not in a communal type of society like in a hunter-gatherer context sure but like the way that we're set up now i think is a little bit difficult just putting my two cents out there yeah yeah
0: i wouldn't disagree it, in the
2: in the not to geek out but i have been reading sapiens lately <clears throat> and uh one of the things that they discuss is that for a very long time humans We kind of just like lived in tribes or bands and, uh, didn't really matter like whose kid it was. It was like the village kid, like you just take care of people, presumably because you need them. Um, and it's horrible to see somebody that you're in contact with all the time, get like mauled by a lion or something. But, uh, but that kind of goes away when, once you like start doing industrialized societies and stuff like that, you know, when you don't have to like depend on each other for success. Hmm. So yeah, it's a side, side note there.
1: Interesting. Um, kind of quick question on, on developing this yourself, love, how did you go about doing that or how did that develop? Um,
0: that's a good question. Um, I think it starts with confidence. Um, At least for me, it started with confidence. It first starts with confidence. uh, Confidence in... In in myself and my ability to achieve things. Um, And I think... that confidence gave me so many benefits because I took so many risks. And as I as I fueled, a lot of those failed, especially early on in life, right. And when I say risks, I mean, like risks of like, going to talk to someone risks of like, trying to eat something, right? Like, they're dumb risks, right? But like the risks, right? Like when you're a kid you're going to stick like some berry you found on the street in your mouth, you don't know if it's going to kill you, right? But like I do it anyways because why not, right? Um, or like, oh, I'm going to go whitewater rafting in like a river with waterfalls, right? Like and rapids, right? Like at like nine, right? Sure, it's crazy, right? But it gives you confidence, right? And, and I think... What ended up happening to me is the love for myself came over time. Right. I realized that the blend of confidence with that risk taking and that learning and that constant growth set me up for success. And so I kind of learned to love myself in the past, right? Like, you know, shout out to Lewis, you know, five years ago for hooking it up today. Right um you know thank you like you almost thank yourself for getting through certain things right like a pat yourself on the shoulder right like damn right like when you look inside yourself and you look at like the hardships that one had to deal with at an early age right and like i almost treat that person as a different person but like it's me right like i look at like you know four-year-old me three-year-old me getting through some of those like harder times in cuba and i'm like damn man that shit is admirable like thank you right like i'm here today because back then you did that right um and you know i can point back to a lot of points in my past where i've just taken care of myself right uh despite it being hard or despite it not being the easiest you know like the, the desired route or the predicted route or the recommended route, right? Like sometimes I took the route that people told me like, don't fucking take, don't ever do it. Right. Um, but I did it anyways, right? Like being an entrepreneur, right? Like everyone, like my entire dad's side of the family, like we fucked off from each other, right? Like completely disconnected, um, uh, around this idea of like, Hey, I'm gonna drop out of school to be an entrepreneur. Right. Um, And, and today I just like, you know, I'm glad that I took those risks and I feel like the moment that I started reflecting on, on that, I don't, was probably like 10, 11 kind of age, but I didn't think of it as love right at the time. I I think it wasn't until later when I got into like my first like pretty serious relationship, um, that, that I, I, I realized what it was like to be loved, right? Like within the context of a relationship, right. Um, and, and what it was like to have a friend and, and all these sorts of things like in, in a much more intimate sort of way. Right. Um, and and in that moment I realized like, this is love. This is what being loved feels like. And this is amazing. And I realized like I had some of that for myself and I wasn't nurturing it. And I wasn't fostering it. Um, and so probably around the age of 13 or 14, um, I, I really changed to like, take care of yourself, right? Like this idea of love yourself, like seriously love yourself right and like anybody else critiques you that's okay right if it's a constructive criticism and you can learn from it great if not like sorry about you know sorry to them right but like i'm just gonna keep moving on um but yeah i I would say it starts with confidence it starts with some exposure to love and feeling loved so that at least for me it was it was so that i could know what the feeling was like um and then kind of a commitment, right, to just love yourself, right? Like I realize this is great. I don't want to lose this, right? So I'm just gonna make sure that I I take advantage of it.
1: And that commitment, what what does that commitment to love yourself look like?
0: Not much, right? It's just I give myself compliments throughout the day when I achieve things, right? I I focus on things that I find enjoying that I, that, that I enjoy or that, you know, I, I believe will, will help me out. Even if others, you know, think it's crazy, right? Like I'm trying to build a bank, right? Like a lot of people are going to be like, why are you trying to build a bank? That's crazy. Like who the fuck is going to build? But I'm like, I don't care. I don't even care if I succeed. Shit. I just want to try. Right. Um, and so this, this allowing, just giving myself free reign, right? Giving myself permission to just, do whatever I want to do that doesn't hurt others. Right. Um, if I can help others and do it, like do it. Right. That, I don't ask Forget asking for permission. Right. Just, just do it, go find something, go do it. Right. Um, I think that, that just allowing myself to do things, complimenting myself and spoiling myself every now and then. Right. And not just today, but for the future, right? Like, um, it could be like today, for example, I wanted to eat a burrito, right? Like, that's a simple pleasure, but like, I wanted and I got a burrito, right? Like, cause, cause I could, right? Sure, it costs more than cooking at home, but like, I have the money, I might as well do it, right? I'm gonna go spoil myself and eat a burrito, right? Some days it's, you know, I wanna like get high at like 2 a.m. and watch something until like I pass out at like 4am. Right. And it might be irresponsible. And I might have to wake up at 7am. And I might be running the rest of the next day, on like three hours of sleep. But like, that's what I wanted to do. So I'm gonna do it. Right. The sense of like, Oh, I have to be super responsible. And like, I can't do that. Because that's bad. Right. Um, fuck that. Right. Um, I, I hate I, I, I feel like that. That's me allowing what other people say and do it's like being peer pressured or bullied into not loving or hating myself right um or not taking care of me so i i just i i take a lot like i literally i would say that in any particular day at least 95 of percent of that day has to be like taking care of me right um e- even when i'm doing things that i might not enjoy I do them because I'm going to learn something out of it or I do them, even though there's nothing to be gained and it's all cost. But I, I, in those scenarios, I, I pat myself on the back mentally, right. Internally for like just going through it, right. Just being my own support system. Um, yeah.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, I think I'm going to wrap it up for tonight before I do. Um, Chris, do you have any kind of questions or any kind of comments kind of related to, to kind of rounding out this topic uh, and more so in the sense of kind of poverty, self-love or anything? Just is there anything I missed in terms of questions that, that I don't know because it gaps my own knowledge?
2: Um, that's a great meta question. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess I'd have to ask, well, I know that you had a different context growing up Louis with your grandparents and all that, and set a foundation for you. But, and this is kind of backtracking a little bit to like your transition from Cuba here to the U S some experiences that I had like being broke growing up in the U S. I took it as an environmental cue that being broke was something to be ashamed of. And so I like tried to hide it at all costs. And I wonder if you had some kind of similar experience. I know from what you mentioned before, and obviously what I know about you, you may have like run into this or brushed with it, but like, how would you say that that affected you? And, you know, has... Have you gone through a journey with that?
0: Yeah. Um, great, yeah. great question, man. Um, I would say that uh, yes, on the journey side, I think that that, and, and probably I, I imagine the same for you, right? Given, you know it, it. It's it's been it's been a big change from where I was when I came here to the U S and what my, my state of mind was then to where I am today. Right. And, and to some degree, it feels almost like full circle. When I came here from Cuba, I didn't really understand that as a concept. And I had no shame in sharing things that alluded to our financial situation with anyone. So I would share things like, oh, you know, I saw my mom like two days ago crying because she couldn't, you know, pay a particular bill. And I would share that at school, right? Um, And I think the reaction was always negative, right? Like kids who didn't have similar situations in their households uh maybe saw that as you know different and thereby something to critique or make fun of or run away from or confusion right what's what's very common as well Um, and i never really got it at that point in time as a shame I was just like okay this isn't a great subject of conversation and so i never really talked about it at that point it was later when i made comments about our financial situation and social settings whereby my parents were present and they got you know ousted so to speak because of my ignorance to this about their poverty and there was you know clapback Um, that, that, you know, that shock came to me and then I, I got imprinted. I particularly, I remember being like slapped once and then like held on my collar and being told, you know, you never talk about those things. You don't say that to anyone. That's for us. That's private. Right. Um, and I, and I remember that I was probably like eight, seven, something like that. And, and then at that point, I I do think that I, I, I became ashamed, or maybe it wasn't shame at that particular moment, but the, it laid the seeds for shame, for sure. Um, and I became more aware too of certain things. Like when my mom would count money that she was handed or something like, She'd always do it, hiding it, right? Like her body, right. Language would change so that she'd like hunch over and like turn and then, you know, just kind of scruffle quickly through the bills. Um, and like whenever she would pull out her phone to like or her, you know, open up a laptop to like check a bank account or like look at a credit card statement. It was always like, look away, right? Like, don't, don't look at this, right? This is like a mess, right? There's there's a there's a monster in this app, or there's a monster in this website. And and when when that behavior is so dramatic, right? In comparison to, you know, like, not being able to eat. And like, she took that for granted, right? Like some days we were just fucking like, Open up a can of spam, and like that was it. That was dinner. Um, when that is less shocking to a parent than like opening up a website, you become really ashamed or really scared of sharing what's on that website. And so, for for my day to day interaction with with other kids when they talked about their parents and their purchases and their whatever i think for me i realized one immediately i don't have any of those things i can't relate to anything that you're saying and because of the way that like my parents are comporting themselves over these you know things i probably should never talk about this And so I don't know if I would classify it as my emotion was shame, but my behavioral reaction to it was definitely similar to someone who would be ashamed. Um, And at times I definitely did feel shame. I remember like there was a couple dates for like people I really liked who like I had to ditch because I couldn't afford it. And like, you know, that that hurts because you can't one i i was between oh i can't tell them that i'm poor because that's you know illegal right or whatever um but i don't want to not tell them anything and make it feel like they did something and oftentimes that was what ended up happening right like they ended up feeling like oh the guy was an asshole or he just didn't like me or you know somehow Mm -hmm. felt. And I had so many moments like that with friendships, with relationships because of poverty, that I think the real emotional reaction that I felt was guilt, right? More than shame. Um, I felt guilty of being poor. Like, damn, I'm, I'm burdening so many people through my poverty. Um, but I don't know, I, I think there's a, there's a sense of relief, and you know, hashtag thank you Chris for, uh, for these life lessons. Um, and just stopping to give a shit, like not giving a shit anymore, and just entering new relationships with here are all my cards on the table, right? And it almost became nice because those who shamed me for being poor or those who had difficulties with it were people that I honestly didn't want to be around. And so it became almost a self filter, And I think that helped me quite a bit open up start my journey. I think it'll probably be a lifelong journey. Um, but but yeah, I, I, I don't know, you know, what I guess, uh, and Katie, I don't want to eat up your time here. But I just wanted to ask Chris a question, which I thought was relevant. So um,
1: no, I gotta okay. keep going. So <laughs> Keep going
0: I wanted to ask you, Chris, what were, I guess, emotional responses that you had earlier on in life? When did you realize you were poor relative to others? And what was or has been the journey for you through that, like,
2: yeah, bloody hell, man, we could spend like hours <laughs> talking about this alone. But, uh, <laughs> um, it's a lot to unpack here, but I heard a subset of the question was, "When did I know that yeah. I was poor?" And honestly. When I start reliably having memories, I knew I was poor. Like, like in pre-K, I knew I was poor. Um, and I knew, like, when I had memories previous to that, I just thought like, oh, well, you know, things are like bad, right? Because like I'm talking about like, you know, obviously being like three or or however old I was when I had those initial memories, so I thought, okay, well, these are like bad situations, but like, by the time that I was four, I, which I think is when pre-K happens, um, I had a pretty good sense that like, not like poverty as a concept, but I just understood like, hey, my life is different than other people's lives. And like, they have things and can do things that I don't have and that I can't do. Um, and I think it's like the really small stuff that kind of like got me when I was young is like, I don't know, it was, it's such a myriad of things, but like, like being really cold, walking to the pre-K in dusk when it's super like dark and again, cold, cause it's like four in the morning. Um, and then getting there and, you know, like the kids are like nice and fresh getting dropped off and all of that. And then like, well, you know, my shoes have like holes in them and okay, well, their shoes don't have holes in them. Uh, and you know, things like that. Um, so I, I you know, I, I think what's interesting is that I almost don't even, I'm still in the process of unpacking, like, what, what did I identify as, Hey, this is poverty versus, Hey, I'm like a fuck up. Or like, you know, I guess this happens to me cause I'm like a worse person or something. I don't know. Um, and like, I think it's difficult because the world is a threat, or at least it was like the way that I like coped with it, I guess, is I saw like everything was a threat, like other people, like, like any situation could like go bad, you know? And it was almost like, imagine imposter syndrome as like a four-year-old or a five-year-old. Like, I hope that they don't discover how, like the reality, the sad reality of my life or something like that. um and it gets very difficult to unpack that especially when you're so young and impressionable um but it definitely like etched itself into my young early psyche um and then but you know over time you just do the work to unpack that as you get older and you realize like okay well you know these things are not really like related at all um Uh, like your, who you are, yourself, like what values you have, and like what your economic resources are. But it takes a lot of time. Um, And it has surprising side effects. Um, It seeps into what you believe you can and cannot do with things that have nothing to do with money. Like, honestly. Um, And, you know, I experienced all the same problems that you mentioned, like relationships were troublesome because like, I didn't have a phone or I couldn't go anywhere or, you know, I couldn't pay for dates or Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think, you know, not to just talk about like the gloom and doom part. I think the turning point is I had a series of interventions in my life that I feel very lucky to have had And also to be able to interpret, like like I got lucky in a sense, I had great counselors when things got really, really bad. And there were some instances that they did, um, there were people who really cared. And for some reason, I just, I could receive the messages that they were trying to transmit and learn from them. And it just like a tiny one degree change in my path over time turned into a very big difference um and so i'm very thankful for people who i can't even remember their names of to be honest um but you know eventually those things built up and obviously i build coping skills myself like having to parent myself and all that and you know i, I won't get into everything. Cause this podcast episodes about Lewis, <laughs> not about Chris, but, uh, <laughs> um, but I think a really big turning point in my life was eventually learning about psychology and the psychology of personal effectiveness and learning to, to disambiguate, um, what self-esteem is, what it means to be able to attain the things that you want. And that most of the time it doesn't have really to do with money and then, you know, learning about money in and of itself as a concept and then learning about leverage and learning about how, uh, you know, work is not synonymous with value and it's also not synonymous with value capture. Like, for example, one of the things that I'm appreciating now even is how working hard is not really what gives you like material gain like yes you need to work hard but if working hard meant that you were rich the poorest people would be the richest people um hmm. so i i don't know i don't even know the breadth of the question <laughs> to be honest like it's there's a lot to un- unpack there um i'm not sure if that at all captures yeah. what you were trying
0: to yeah, yeah, no, find part, out more yeah, about yeah I mean obviously that that's that that can be a multi-hour conversation but uh, it paints a picture which I think is the important the important part right
2: yeah, yeah.
1: I, I definitely would like to do I have I've already written down like ten, ten questions that I'd love to just pack in or kind of dive in with you Chris um, and I'm I'm hoping that you you will. Be, be kind of willing to to share mm-hmm. your story, well was Chris episode
2: yeah, yeah, um yeah, yeah, I think uh, I' Lewis so bravely tell his story <laughs> and and yeah, having you on also um, mm-hmm. but yeah I've always been hes- you know I've always been hesitant to talk about these things, and uh, I guess this is something that's just personal to me, but I'm a very harsh critic on myself. So sometimes I even look at, like, things that happen, and I have to kind of just, like, be kind to myself a little bit, and cut myself some slack for the things that happen, and what I consider to be certain mistakes in my past. Um, so it's difficult a little bit to talk about, but I think it could be a healing exercise, I guess.
0: Yeah. That's <laughs> Yeah, Katie, I'll help you push that podcast also if you want it. I'll do some propaganda. My, I'll send some people to talk to his people, you know.
2: <laughs> Get some time on his
0: schedule.
2: <laughs> I'm really going you know? to need three hours
0: pre to prep what's three hours post. Oh, man.
1: No, but again, guys, I just can't even reiterate. How grateful, um, grateful, and thankful I am that you guys are willing to kind of share your stories and get this deep um, into the psyche of it. Because um, as you're saying, it's just like like check your privilege. Sure. Like you don't know what you don't know, and it's just yeah, it's just I don't know. I think Chris, actually, you were probably the first one that that shared your story to that degree of of intimacy um, privately over Instagram. But just every time I kind of hear more and more about your guys and your, and your stories and your experiences it just helps illuminate so much stuff um so thank you guys so much I well really, i really got appreciate
0: you it. i guess to some degree right honestly
2: yeah yeah no i mean i think it, the fact that you're such a willing <laughs> a, active listener a guinea
0: pig for nice. for sharing these thoughts with uh, no because you know chris chris and i usually <laughs> share in a vacuum and so, like, it's like an echo chamber of, like, us listening to a, a reflective story to some degree. So, you know, it's, it's, again, I say.
2: Yeah, like, I have no idea how some of the things that I say are going to land. Yeah, 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 like, yeah.
0: So, again, you know, I, I, I repeat, thank you for the hmm. free therapy. Um,
1: <laughs> hey, anytime, anytime.
0: <laughs> no, but it's, it's always cool. And, and this is something that I actually wanted to. Uh, bring up and and you know we can always edit it out or whatever I don't know up to you I don't I don't really the, the whole podcast part of the equation is, is, is really your part but um, always wanted to maybe get like your perspective right like what what um
2: oh yeah yeah what do you make yeah. out of all this
1: in in terms of of what specifically yeah. in terms of or, your experiences <laughs> In terms of, yeah,
0: this, yeah, this like, might be one of those two unbounded kind of, of equestrians, right? Like, like <laughs> we can turn that into its own podcast. <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, no. Yeah.
2: Just, I guess the point is, we we've never been you listening yeah, to this.
0: It's been right. us listening right. to this. No, that
1: that's super valid. Um, first couple things, the first things that that come out is, especially kind of in the context with with george floyd especially in in all these contexts you hear people say things like easy example like check your privilege or or people say like for example you're privileged so you don't have to worry about fitting in or something because you you have the security and you just don't understand these things like to me like i can hear them but i just don't yeah you just don't really understand what they mean um until you guys essentially go on and and tell me in, in, a, in a non-judgmental way, and in a way that's just like, to me, it's just like discovering, like, it's like, wow, all these things, and you guys are totally right, it's like, I'm so ignorant to, to a lot of people's struggles, because I've just never had to to live it, you know, and you don't know what you don't know, so there's things that, yeah, for me, it's just kind of eye-opening, um, things that you just don't even, I just don't know, <laughs> I don't know, because I don't know, um, so for me, it's, it's just very surprising, just to some degree, surprising, and then, it really, really, really helps, um, yeah, with understanding and empathy, and, and it helps you kind of understand why people react and do yeah. the things that they do. Um, so, yeah, for me, I'm just incredibly grateful when I hear it. Um, cool. Yeah, I, cool. I would well, say that.
0: Thank you um, for, yeah. Yeah. Cool, guys yeah
1: then oh. the other thing i might last thing i might add is yeah i think the the prevailing narratives that you grow up with um yeah. like on the flip side like for people who yeah. grow up privileged and all these things on the flip kind like now it, it's like i kind of see it it's like how how can you be annoyed with them because they don't know either and i mean like everyone well, I mean, they. Everyone has the opportunity to learn, and I just think that people need to yeah. seek to understand. Um, and so, it just honestly, just kind of hearing the, these stories just helps with yeah. judgment. I would say the biggest thing is like on on all fronts. Um,
0: yeah, I, I so. would I would second yeah. that very strongly. I would I would almost quote that trademark it, Katie Friesen, twenty twenty. You know, <laughs> yeah, perspective. Perspective. <laughs> yeah.
1: No judgment. Just um,
0: listening. I really do think that can go a lot. That that can do so much for both sides, really, honestly, right? Or any side, right? On any arbitrary conflict, like I've, I've, I think I've yeah. mentioned to Chris like a handful of times, and I don't know if he agrees, but like he's never denied it. So I'm just gonna uh, throw you under the bus and say you agree, bro. Um, <laughs> but it's it's this idea that like literally all conflict, all prejudice, just comes from a difference in experience or a difference in like, you know, perspective, like thought pattern, right? Um, like it's either what you saw was different or the way you looked at it was different, um, which, you know, turns out to be about the same thing. Um, and just just a little bit of sharing with just a little bit of empathy goes such a long way, such a long way.
1: Yeah. And I think the the key Component there is is listening. I think that most people are both trying to share, um, but it's typical that both sides yeah. usually aren't ch- aren't trying to listen. Um, and so I would I would a hundred percent in all my life experiences where there's been conflict. That's a hundred percent the case. Is that there's just misassumptions or a lack of perspective on on both sides of understanding. Yeah. So
2: I agree. Okay.
0: There. All right, guys. Until the next cool. one. Have a good night.
1: Cool. All right, guys. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. And that wraps up part four of Luis Carbonell's life, his multi-part series. Make sure to check out part one, uh, Luis's life in Cuba, if you have not listened to it already. Uh, that kind of sets up a little more context uh, for this episode. So this was part four on poverty uh, before we did Luis and his life, life in Cuba and family life and also on sexuality. So be sure to check out those prior podcasts if you have not and stay tuned for the next part in Lewis's life. And that wraps up the episode again, uh, you know, check out the, check out the website, subscribe, tell your friends that helps me do what I do best, which is talk to people and bring those conversations to you. So subscribe, tell, tell. Check out the website, and I hope you have a fantastic week. Cheers, bud.